the Lord all creatures. He who did make the mountains, he who did make the woods and fields, he who made the sky. Praise him who gave us gladness. Praise him who fills our hearts with song. Praise him who lifts their notes on high, there where earthly hopes belong. Praise ye the Lord, all creatures, he who did make the seasons, he who did make the hush of night, he who made the sun. Praise him who gave everyone. Thanks for coming to Sunday service. Um, I'm Nayaswami Jyotish and this is Nayaswami Devi. And we want to again thank you all for coming and thank those who will be seeing us over the internet. I want to let you know since so many people have been praying for him that Swami Kriyananda is doing much better. Uh, he's still in the hospital in Pune but there's uh, hope that he'll be able to be released tomorrow. So we'll just have to see, but let's keep the prayers coming. So I'll begin by reading today's topic from Rays of the One Light. These are uh, companion comparisons or, or verses from the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita showing the underlying unity. This is the law of karma, bondage or soul release. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. The epistle of St. Paul to the Galatians contains this oft-quoted statement. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. In Autobiography of a Yogi, Paramahansa Yogananda tells a story from the life of the Benares saint, Trilangaswami. A skeptic once determined to expose Trilanga as a charlatan. A large bucket of calcium lying mixture used in whitewashing walls was placed before the Swami. Master, the materialist said in mock reverence, I have brought you some clabbered milk. Please drink it. Trilanga unhesitatingly drained to the last drop the container full of burning lime. In a few minutes, the evildoer fell to the ground in agony. Help, Swami, help, he cried. I'm on fire. Forgive my wicked test. 
The great yogi broke his habitual silence. Scoffer, he said, you did not realize when you offered me poison that my life is one with your own, except from my knowledge that God is present in my stomach, as in every atom of creation, the lime would have killed me. Now that you know the divine meaning of boomerang, never again play tricks on anyone. The well-purged sinner, healed by Trilanga's words, slunk feebly away. Yogananda goes on to say, The reversal of pain was not due to any any volition of the master, but came about through unerring application of the law of justice, which upholds creation's furthest swinging orb. Men of God-realization like Trilanga allow the divine law to operate instantaneously. They have banished forever all thwarting cross-currents of ego. Not by reason alone, but by self-realization, are the ins and outs of destiny fully understood. Their web, though tied forever to the post of ego motivation, is too intricate to be perceived as a single thread. Only great masters can see it with clarity. It is visible to them in all its workings, not from within the tangle, but from above in superconsciousness. As Sri Krishna said in the fourth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, he who beholds inaction in action and action in inaction is wise among men. He is one with the Spirit. He has attained the true goal of action, perfect freedom. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. I also want to welcome you to Sunday service and hope you all had a very nice Thanksgiving holiday and... Uh, We have a wonderful topic this morning, so pertinent to our lives. And we'll start by reading from um, Yogananda's Whispers from Eternity. And every time I see this beautiful cover, I thank our dear friend Chitra who designed it. So it's really extraordinary. So this is one called, these are all prayer demands. This is, wake me that I may know that the terrors of mundane delusion are only dreams. Wrapped in the blanket of hope, I slept long. I dreamed I was sitting on a throne, my face wreathed in smiles. My smiles withered, and the petals of my merriment dropped away one by one. Suddenly, I beheld myself in rags. Seated on the hard stones of poverty, I wept, and my teardrops fell on the unending, unrelenting stones of my present circumstances. The world passed me by in mocking silence. I cried out for thy help, and thou didst wake me at last through the force of my desperation. 
I laughed to find myself at last, neither rich nor poor, but safe forever in thy arms. Oh, awaken all anxious souls from their dreams of smiling opulence and crying poverty. O maker of dream worlds, deliver me forever from the nightmares of disease and death. Wake me to immortality. Wake me to unshaken calmness that I may know the fierce terrors of mundane delusion to be only dreams. So when we, our topic this morning is the law of karma. And when we talk about law, we think in terms of law and judgment and punishment. But I think a better way to talk about it would be the mechanism of karma. Because as it said in, uh, Trilanga Swami was quoted as saying that these principles operate in the farthest orbs of creation. So it isn't something that, well, we live under the law. It just reminded me there was a book that we saw, a title of a book we saw, Military Justice is to Justice as Military Music is to Music. But anyway, (laughs) back to our topic. So, but if we think in terms of the principles we see all around us in the natural world. There's the law of for every cause, there's an effect. That's how things work in this world. Nothing, and the supreme cause of it all, if we really move, develop spiritually, we understand behind the only cause is God. And he's the one that sets it all in motion. He's she. So cause and effect, action and reaction. It's how things work in this world, from the most simple mechanical procedure to the divine law through which all of this was created. I had a friend once who, I have a friend who once had a kind of a vision, and he saw he was was going very deep in kind of his perception of reality, and he realized that he saw the DNA structure, and it was so beautiful, that, that he, spiral helix. And he saw that the bonds that helped, held it together were love. And that was the mechanism through which everything was held together. So if we understand that not, not one action, not one of our thoughts takes place in isolation. But it's all part of an incredible network of thoughts and action and consciousness. And behind it all, is the embracing it all, governing it all, is the consciousness of God. And this is a thought for great comfort. Because that's why St. Paul said in that quote, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Nothing goes unnoticed. Some, there's a kind of a cynical statement that says, no good deed goes unpunished. But Swami Kriyananda said, no, I'd rather say, no good deed goes unnoticed. And so if we can just begin to feel that we don't have to get back at that person who wronged us, we don't have to make things right, 
we have to just live in faith that it's all connected. And if someone in our life has acted inappropriately to us, they will learn the lessons they need to learn. And we will learn the lessons we need to learn. We can't avoid it. It's this beautiful network, beautiful integrated system. I had a friend who was taking a retreat in a uh, Catholic convent. And she said she was in the refectory where they had their meals. And this older nun walked in and she looked very joyful and she clapped her hands. And something must have just happened uh, in another room or another circumstance. And she said, this nun exclaimed, Oh, the economy of God. If there are three people in a room, they're all teaching each other a lesson. Nothing is wasted. And so if we just can live with that sense of freedom, that it's all meshing perfectly. And there is, right now, we live in a time of great confusion. It's, but if we can understand how the law of karma works and how we can be a positive cause rather just an effect, it will give us a lot more confidence, more faith, more uh, less anxiety and fear. You know, you look at the news and one policeman sprays some protesters in the face with pepper spray. And then you look at the news a few days later I, I don't know if you all saw this, but so it's terrible. But some woman was at, I think it was Walmart, yes, yesterday, and it was Black Friday, this huge shopping day, and she wanted to get this certain, I don't know, tech toy or something. And so she whipped out her pepper spray. She wasn't at the head of the line. She whipped out her pepper spray and she sprayed all the other shoppers so she could get her tech, her little goodie. But I read that. I mean, of course, it's it's laughable. But it's like you just see the law of karma that goes out into the world. You know, one action and then another action and another action. And how does it ever stop? It stops by people saying, I will live in truth. I will live in attunement with God's laws of harmony, no matter what happens around me. You know, I had, speaking of shopping, I had an interesting experience um, about a year ago, I was wanting to, uh, some ex- of my extended family were coming over for one of the holidays, and I wanted to get a little game because I, they wanted to play it. And so I looked all over town, Nevada City, Grass Valley, and I couldn't find this, and I sort of gave up. And then I was in a store, a drug store, and it was crowded, and there was one line that, where there was a woman with this child who was totally out of control, just screaming, screaming, screaming. And nobody wanted to get in that line. And so I just thought, you know, I'm going to get behind her and I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to pray for that child. I'm going to pray for that poor mother who's trying to get her food stamps out. And, you know, it, it was just chaos. And so I just was standing there praying and praying. And then I looked at the counter and right there was that game that I was looking for. And if I hadn't gone in that line, if I hadn't stood very still and be praying, I wouldn't have seen that. And so it was like God wanted to give it to me, but it only could have been received through kindness and through through giving to others first. So it's we all can be instruments for 
putting out into the world those kind of vibrations that people are desperately looking for. They're wanting them. They've just lost faith that maybe they don't exist anymore. That kindness and harmony and selflessness and all of those things that maybe they don't exist, but they do. Because just as the law of karma is the very fabric of how the mechanism of this world runs, the principles of higher consciousness and kindness and harmony are the very fabric with which we are created. And so all we have to do is go into ourselves and say, I will not just be an effect, be affected by all the negative vibrations that people are putting out, family or relatives or whatever it is. I will stand in my strength and I will put out that which I know people are looking for in their hearts. But there are two important points in the passage that Jyotish read that I want to touch on particularly. One is when it was saying this Trilanga Swami, he, he didn't, the lime didn't affect him, but it immediately affected this other person because the reason it was like instant karma because there were no thwarting cross currents of ego. That's very important for us to go deep and understand what that means. Because what Master is talking about here in the auto, this is a passage from Autobiography of a Yogi, is if what holds karma to us, and now this is for people who, for devotees, for serious devotees, who are really asking themselves the question, I know I have bad karma, I know I'm not free yet, but how do I achieve, achieve freedom? Well, the first thing is to realize, how do I get out of, how do I sub, uh, subdue these thwarting cross-currents of ego? Because Master gives a beautiful illustration. He said, just like when the wind comes and blows very hard on a body of water, the ocean or a big lake, it whips up the waves and it creates turmoil and all the cross currents are going every which way. But when the, when the wind is stilled, that water becomes stilled. So it is with our own minds. Through the practice of meditation, when our minds become still, then we become still. And the karma, our reactions to things, we have control over it. It isn't just a knee-jerk reaction. Oh, this bad thing happened. I remember another time when we were living at our ashram in San Francisco. I, um, it was a very rainy day. And I was driving, for, I was parked far from the ashram and I had to drive back. And I, the windows were all steamed up and I couldn't see very well. And I backed up. And I, I didn't, there was no even a fender bender, but I touched the car behind me. But I kind of stopped and I thought, well, nothing's wrong here. It wasn't any jolt. But then I drove home and it was about a half hour drive home. And I got out of my, it was heavy traffic. I got out of the car and this woman who I had bumped had followed me all the way back. And she was screaming at me and screaming at me. And I just thought, I said, well, is your car damaged? And she said, no, but you should have got out. And, and, you know, I said, well, there wasn't any damage, so I didn't. And if you want to call the insurance company, fine. But it was just like that reaction. I'm going to get back at that person. Whereas I just remained calm. And 
I didn't think it was something I needed to react to. And so she put out all that energy in the world, and I bet by the time she got home, she was all riled up, and and then she got her household all riled up. So the more we're in that constant reactive state, the more we're in the play of karma. We can't avoid it. But when we start calming our minds, and whatever happens, you know, there's that beautiful story that Master tells of, this wandering sadhu was wandering through the countryside in India and he came through a little village and he was an anchorite. His hair was matted and long and he just was covered with ash and just had a little loincloth on. And he began walking through the village and the little village boys began, first they were teasing him and he just was centered in himself and kept walking through. And then they began taunting him, but he just didn't react. And then they were began kind of pushing him a little bit and he, he just was in not disturbed by the thwarting cross-currents of ego. And then one little boy wanted to really get some action going here, so he picked up a rock and he threw it at the sadhu, and, and then they all got into it and they were throwing stones. And by the time he exited the village, he had his back was, the skin was torn and he was bleeding and he got back to his little forest ashram and his disciples said, Master, Master, what happened? He said, oh, we had such a good time in the village today. The boys were playing and shouting and throwing stones, but there was no point of egoic reference that he reacted to it. And here was this woman who followed me all the way through raining tra- you know, rain and traffic to tell me, to yell at me. And it it just, we need to understand we have the power within ourselves not to be caught up in the meshes of karma. And by calming our reactions, by looking, by just that, you know, our lives would be so different if we just practice one simple activity before every time we open our mouth to speak, pause. And just think, Master, is this what you want me to say? That one simple activity would entirely change our lives. And so if we can begin seeing how to calm this process, and then if there's group karma that's negative, we're not caught up in it. You know, if there's, we all hear stories about a plane going down and everybody was killed, but one person was somehow strangely thrown out the window before the plane caught on fire. Well, their karma was strong enough not to be offset by the group karma. And so the more we can loosen that hold of using our point of ego as the perspective from which we react to everything, the more our karma just can't get purchase on us. One time we used the example that with our karma we should try to think of ourselves as Teflon, not Velcro. So everything just slides off, nothing sticks. So that's the first principle I wanted to touch on. If we can diminish the thwarting cross-currents of ego... Our karma does not have such a hold on us. And it's, of course, a gradual process. Ananda Moima, a great woman saint mentioned in Autobiography of a Yogi, gave an illustration. She said, 
when we're coming to working out our karma, think of it like an electric fan that's been spinning and spinning, and you pull the plug so it's no longer being fed, but the blades still spin for a while till all the energy is run down, but no more energy is feeding it. And so as devotees, that should be our goal. I'm going to pull the karmic plug, the little blades that will still spin for a little while, but I'm not feeding it anymore. So the second point I want to touch on that uh, was simply that wonderful quote from the Bhagavad Gita that was mentioned in that reading. Um, He who beholds inaction, in inaction, and action in inaction is truly wise and will find freedom. Well, at first when I read that, I thought, well, how does that linked karma. I don't quite get it. And then I thought about it more. And the truly wise person knows that action is a delusion because we're just stirring up the dust. And action is just truly inaction. It's ineffective. It's only operating in the world of delusion. But inaction, meaning the calm, centered state of consciousness, that is true action because then you become a cause. Then you are linked with the causative agent, agency of divine consciousness. So, so often in my life, I'll come to a point where I'll see something needs a decision or needs to be done and your, your initial reaction is, oh, I'm going to run out there and do it, and I've got to change this, and I've got to make this better, and I've got to tell this person this. But more and more I realize that just gets the ball in play. It just, okay, now if I say that, then they'll say this. And it's just like, you know, balls ricocheting on a billiard table. But if you just say, I will remain in my center and let the power of my blessings and my prayer and my goodwill and my divine love and friendship, let that be the way I act in this situation. And then there's nothing that comes back at all. You're, at, you're being a divine cause, not a delusionary active force. And so the more, it, and it's the same principle of just pausing before you speak, pausing before you act pausing before you make a decision. In a way, that's the most important point of any action or words or decision is that attempt to attune yourself to divine will because then you're not being prompted by your own desires, by your own wishes, but you're just simply being an instrument for God. There's a beautiful line in the Swami vows which many of us have taken, that said, um, I will see that not only the fruits of my actions, but the actions themselves are thine. Act through me always, Lord, to accomplish thy design. And it's such a wonderful guideline. Just, Lord, act through me so that your overall design for this world can be facilitated. And so to just realize God is the only doer, the more we think we can do anything, the more we are caught in the karmic 
ping pong game. And the more we can just rest in the self, and it's not that we do nothing. We have to act. We must act to fulfill, to play out our karma as much as it can, we can. But to realize that everything is your action. It, it, my goal is to simply be an instrument for you. And then finally, we need to understand if we're trying to work out all our karma, the role of the divine guide or guru in our lives. It, there's a saying in the Bible that, it, that says, Moses brought us the law, but Jesus brought us truth and grace. And rather than thinking in terms of religious connotations, thinking of more of a progression of consciousness, we start off and we need to know the law. We need to know how to act in attunement with God's consciousness. In the uh, Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, he talks about the yamas and the niyamas, which are parallel to the uh, Ten Commandments. But we start with that. And, but then to ultimately find freedom from karma, we need the presence and the guidance and the grace of the divine teacher, our guru. And who is that teacher? Is it a picture on the altar? Is it, this is mine and it's not yours? I, it's very interesting to think of the guru in the same way we're talking about karma, as a mechanism, impersonal. And the guru, yes, he's, a, he's an expression of cosmic consciousness, but if we think of him as a mechanism for the process of transformation of the soul and then try to align ourselves, attune ourselves with that mechanism, Jatish gave a very good illustration earlier at the um, purification ceremony where he said, if we think of our karma running after us, instead of running into it and crashing head on, if we're running in the same direction, then the karma will just kind of come and touch us. And what is that same direction? It's the flow of grace of the guru. Just be in alignment with that. And then whatever has to happen... I mean, I could name a dozen circumstances right now, instances of people who are living at Ananda who have had major, major accidents or catastrophes happen in their life, and they just walk away untouched. Is this always the case? No, it's not always the case. But we need to understand that our karma will be worked out in different ways, even a little practice of this inward religion will free one from dire fears and colossal suffering. The grace of the guru moves us through our karma, protects us, so that what when a great saint once said, if it's a disciple's karma, uh, a karmic decree that they'll lose an arm, they'll just the guru will take some of that karma and they'll just get a scratch. So... Ultimately, if we can begin saying, I don't want to stir up any more karma, I will act in this world, but as your instrument for consciousness and harmony, and I will fulfill everything I need to do, but I am looking for freedom. 
I'm not, I'm not looking to be caught anymore in being a king or being a beggar and the, tr- the tragedies and the uh, great success stories. In the end, it, um, ch- as they say, chains of gold still bind. Even good karma locks us into this world. We want to live simply with inner freedom. And I want to read... I can't say it any better than this. So we'll just share these words of Yogananda's from uh, Essence of Self-Realization, another lovely cover that was designed by Nisha, I believe. So this is on the, a wonderful chapter. These are all sayings of Yogananda. This is Working Out Karma. Yogananda said to a struggling disciple, Your job for now is to get to God. Don't worry about all the karma you still have to complete. Let God worry about that. First, destroy in yourself the source of karmic involvement. That source is your attachment to the ego. Once the ego is merged in him, then any actions you perform will no longer revert to yourself. Your actions will be like writing on water. They will leave no trace in the mind. In severing yourself from egoic involvement in any action that you perform, you will have cut the Gordian knot of delusion. This is the state of Jivan Mukta, one who is free inside, even while living in this world. Be inwardly free. Being inwardly free, nothing he does can ever affect him again. We can do this with the grace of the Guru, with our understanding, with our self-offering, we can do this. And so, as it said, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Let us live in attunement with his ray, and we will find ourselves free of all karma and living in that blessed state of inner peace and divine attunement.